0: Welcome to episode 58 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week we're going to cover true crime and paranormal from the state of Georgia. And we have a special guest. So this
1: week, our special guest is... Me, Aiden. Aiden. My son, Aiden. Aiden, how old are you? I'm four, and then on my birthday, I'm going to be five. That's right. You're going to be five and she is beyond excited to be on the podcast right now. Are you so excited to be on the podcast? How excited are you?
0: 60, 70, Oh. 65. Oh,
1: boy. This week, we chose to drink a mocktail. So, just so you guys know, I'm not a bad parent. Aiden has <laughs> no idea what this podcast is about. Well, this podcast is about, like, Forty degrees. It's about 42 degrees? I don't know. <laughs> Right.
0: You're
1: exactly right. <laughs> well, I never tasted a drink yet, so I'll do this drink. Okay, right. that's right. So we have a mocktail. Again, Aiden has no idea what this podcast is about, so don't think yeah, that I'm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he is just here to taste this mocktail that I created for us this week, and then he's gonna skedaddle on up to bed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're gonna try this drink. Cheers! Yeah, yeah.
0: Cheers.
1: Do you like? It's it? Good. It's good.
0: What does it taste like to you? It tastes like, like a lemon.
1: Like a lemon? lemon. Really? tastes tastes the lemon, but it's so yummy. It's so yummy? Yeah. It tastes kind of like peaches to me. Yeah, peaches. I never taste peaches. Yeah, I don't think you have tasted peaches. And you need my special joke. No, hold on. You can tell never your mind. special joke in a second. You didn't like peaches when you were a baby because you called them hairy. No comment Okay So like I said This is a mocktail And it is a frozen peach bellini I like a mocktail A mocktail Yes
0: Yeah and the CPS I don't know
1: what that means CPS You don't know what that means what? I don't know
0: It means it has no
1: alcohol in it Yes It's so for you not it's, Can I tell my joke Hold on So it has Two peaches in it One cup of sparkling Apple juice hmm,
0: It's good
1: Two teaspoons of Splenda. I don't have Splenda in the house, so I put some sugar in there. And then a teaspoon of lime juice is in there. Lime juice is like a lime juice. Yes, it's like a lime juice. And then we blend it all up in the blender, and it's yummy, yummy, yummy. And if you do want to make this a cocktail, you can add sparkling into it. sparkling, sparkling. Who loves Um, sparkling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she loves so sparkling So like the silly thing about? Okay, now you can tell Yes So, what's a pirate's favorite letter? You think it's
0: the R, but it's the C <laughs> <laughs> That was really
1: good That was good, honey Okay, so, do you like the drink? Do you think other kids should try the drink? And other yeah. people? Sure Yeah? Alright I'm so excited I'm on the podcast. I know you are. Okay, now take your sugary drink and go up and hang out with Daddy. <laughs> okay? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Bye! Bye! Love you, Aiden.
0: Love Bye. you. Bye, this is killer hangover. Bye.
1: <laughs> this is killer hangover. Bye. Oh
0: my God. That kid is just just like his father. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And no, he is not going on 10. He is truly four years old. <laughs> he is. He's
1: something <laughs> else.
0: Oh, OK. So I was
1: a little distracted. He was super excited to tell his joke. He's been practicing jokes. He's been
0: wanting to say this all day. We've heard it since this morning.
1: I want to tell my joke. <laughs> I want to, Yeah, but he wouldn't tell and, us and the joke. Beth didn't know what the joke was. No, so I was, was a little like, nervous. Uh... <laughs> well, the first time I asked him, do you want to be on the podcast? He's like, sure. I got to come up with a joke. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Let I me mean, knock, knock. Who's there? Yeah, exactly. Chicken. <laughs> Chicken who? <laughs> Chicken. <laughs> anyway, so this cocktail is actually really yummy. Cocktail, Yes. Is. And like I said, you can always add sparkling to it if you want to make think it a cocktail. It would be better. Of course. <laughs> but it is, like I said, it's two ripe peaches peeled and sliced. I actually think frozen peaches is the way to go because then you don't have to add ice so oh, much to right. it and they're kind of ready kinda and juicier I it's juicier guess. i think they're probably a little sweeter well unless it's a ripe peach unless which is it's not peach the season summer. right now yeah right. we did frozen peaches and like i said we added a little bit of sugar but you can do splenda and it's, it's really yummy it's very good yeah
0: mm-hmm. okay so uh on to the
1: rest of the podcast you ready
0: ready All right, so this true crime from Georgia was actually requested by several listeners. Ooh, okay. It was something I'd never heard of, so it was kind of fun researching. Fun. Yes. So, who I'm talking about is Carlton Gary. Gary was born September 24th, 1950 in Columbus, Georgia, or weirdly enough, some accounts, he was born on fifteen December nineteen fifty two. Well, that's a kind of a big difference. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I was looking all over and it had the, both of those two different dates on it.
1: That's bizarre. Okay,
0: okay. so and that okay. started my research. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> so his father was a construction worker who wanted, nothing. or was he? <laughs> No, he really was. sorry, go on. But he wanted nothing to do with Carlton. In fact, the first and only time father and son met was when Carlton was 12 years old. Carlton's mother was very poor and moved quite frequently. She found jobs as a maid working for wealthy white women. And I guess I'll interject here and say that Carlton was black. Okay. Carlton showed signs of having a very high intelligence, even as a little boy. But this did not matter in his world.
1: Mm.
0: He was very malnourished and abused because he was so little, he was often picked on at school. And in fact, it was one such instance that he suffered a serious head trauma during a fight on the school playground. Oh, no. Another head trauma. Yes. What is it? So what is it with head traumas? I I don't know. When I read this, all of a sudden, my interest was... Peaked, pike, peaked, peaked, (laughs) peaked, peaked, peaked. And I thought, you know what? I wonder Ted Bundy, Manson, all the really big, you know, Mm -hmm. big guy, big guys, big serial killers. I wonder if they suffered head trauma.
1: Well, they don't always say it's head traumas, but that's like, there's like a list of like three or four things that are all, that all serial killers have one or two on that list or one on the list. Right. And one of them is head trauma. One of them is, I believe, wetting the bed. Yes. And then another one is lighting fires, I believe, playing with fire.
0: Killing small animals. And then um, animals. Animals, yeah. Hurting or killing or playing with But it just seems like we keep like running that. into the head trauma thing. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, just crazy. over and over again. No. Yeah. Anyway. So it's not really surprising that by his teens, Carlton was a heavy drug user and already had a police record for robbery, arson, and assault. Hmm. According to a couple of sources, he married at this time to a woman named Sheila, with whom he had two daughters. And other sources just never mentioned that he got married? Well, Sheila and her daughters were never mentioned again. Oh my gosh. I mean, the only thing that was mentioned was that he married and had two daughters, and then that was forgotten. (laughs) and everything. Wow, okay. (laughs) So, in 1970, he moved to Albany, New York, in hopes of making it as a performing artist. I guess he had a pretty good voice. Okay. But that gig is hard to come by. Mm -hmm. And to keep money coming in, he continued with his criminal activities. Then, his activities accelerated to murder. In May of 1970, Marion Brewer was strangled but not killed in her Albany hotel room. Two months later, in July 85, two months later, 85-year-old Nellie Farmer was strangled and killed in a nearby apartment. Gary was arrested in this case, but was charged with only burglary, receiving stolen property, and possession of drugs. Reason being that he reported he had worked with an accomplice, John Lee Williams, and that Williams was the killer. Hmm. Williams was sentenced for Nellie's death, but his verdict was overturned after Gary recanted his statement. Oh. So this to me was the start of what we can believe and what we can't believe that comes out of Gary's mouth. Just like
1: your research.
0: yeah exactly march 31 1975 gary is released from prison and heads to syracuse new york just outside of syracuse on june 27th marion fisher 40 was strangled while walking home from a bar her husband jack was accused of the murder and wasn't cleared until 2007 what when new DNA technology cleared him. Oh my gosh, that poor man. Incidentally, Gary's DNA was found on a red towel, recovered a few feet from the victim's body. Of course, this wasn't until 2007. Seven. Shoot. Shoot. So Gary is in and out of prison a couple more times, and on January 2nd, 1977, 55-year-old Jean Frost is raped and strangled in her home in Syracuse, but she does not die. Frost reported Good. to the police that there is a watch missing, and two days later, they arrest Gary, and Ba-ba! the watch is in his pocket. Mm. Gary, What did they, they arrest him for? They suspected him of the, of this case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gary admits to taking the watch. But that's all, right? But says another man. Of course. Assaulted (laughs) Gene. Of course. Gary is charged with possessing stolen property, among other charges. Then on August 23rd, while in jail, (laughs) Gary jumped from a third floor window and fled home to Columbus. He escaped prison? Yeah. Does that recall to mind of anybody else that did the same thing? Well... There's been a few escapes from prison, but Bundy... I'm talking about jumping out of a window and running. Bundy, It was yes. Bundy while Didn't he was... did he jump was, out of like a library or something yeah, like that? He was in the library. Yeah. And, he, mm-hmm. and I think it was a third floor too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my gosh, that's just crazy. Okay, story continues. On September... Oh, that's not the end? <laughs> I wish it was. I really, no, truly wish it was. On September 11th, 64-year-old Gertrude Miller was beaten with a board and Mm. raped in her home. She survives, and later becomes a bit of a hero in this story. On September 16th, 1977, 60-year-old Fern Jackson was raped, beaten, and strangled to death at her home. How old was this victim? 60. So they're all older women. Yes. In fact, one of the names that he was given was the Granny Killer. Oh, gosh. But I'm not going to call him that. Because, because some of these women were around my age <laughs> so I, you're
1: a grandma I, you're a yaya i'm a yaya but i'm not granny that just doesn't sound some, right so. uh, some women go by granny or grandma or
0: anyway i'm not gonna call him that but <laughs> that is one of his names okay The autopsy report showed that Fern had been hit so hard on the left side of her head that her eye was full of blood. Oh, my God. She had then been strangled. A nylon stocking as well as a bathrobe belt had been tied together and wound tightly around her neck three times. So he's definitely strangulation
1: is his. Man, that's two guys in a row we've covered now, Mom. Strangulation. I know. I was
0: going to say that. (laughs) <laughs> oh man. So petechia, is that what's called? Um the red spots in the eye. Um I, I don't was, know. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember who I'm talking to. Oh, hey. <laughs> Listeners, did you know what she was talking about? <laughs> it was found in her right eye proving that fern was alive as she had been strangled. So oh, that, my that's how gosh. on autopsies uh, along with the hyoid. Bone being crushed, and of course, uh, you know, bruises around the neck. Petechia can be seen in the eyes; Mm -hmm. Um, it's the red spot. Okay, so that was found in her other eye that hadn't been, you know, full of blood. Um, (sighs) She had also been brutally raped. This
1: poor woman.
0: But no semen was found. Now, this is the only autopsy I'm going to cover. Just know that these poor women that I'm going to name were all killed the same way. Nine days later, 71-year-old Jean Diamondstein was found dead in her home, also with a stocking tightly wound around her neck. Now I'm going to add here that now this man is called the Stocking Strangler. I don't like that name much better, but... On October 8th, (sighs) the home of two sisters, 75-year-old Callie East and seventy-eight year old Nellie Sanderson was burglarized. The sisters were not harmed, perhaps because Nellie's son Henry was visiting. Oh. Instead, Henry's car was stolen, which happened to have a twenty-two caliber Ruger pistol under the seat. Great. This is important. The car is found, but the gun is not, and becomes an important piece of evidence. On october twenty first, eighty nine, year old Florence Scheibel was found killed in the same way, raped and strangled. <sighs> These are all horrible, but I'm going to add here to Florence. She was almost completely blind and had to use a walker to get around.
1: God, this guy's sick.
0: Also, and this just kind of choked me up. I don't know why, but she loved baseball and she used to watch baseball ever since she was little. She'd watch it on TV. Well, because she was almost completely blind, she couldn't anymore. So she Always listened to it on the radio. She was a huge baseball fan. That's just a little personal note on on this woman. Who was 89 years old. 89 years old. Jeez Louise. Two days later, 69-year-old Martha Thurmond was killed. On December 28th, 74-year-old Kathleen Woodruff was raped, beaten, and strangled at her home. I know these are all just names to you at this point because they keep adding up, but I just, I was just overwhelmed with how many women, and oh, let me add here that this was all within a very small area.
1: And it's all happening within days of each other. Yep, days so of each other, just, I was and some of listening. these were like
0: catty corner across the street from each other. Oh I mean, a gosh. very small area.
1: So... Please tell me that the police have, like, eyes out now, though. Like, I still understand. I mean, that's what just kills me about some of these killers. They go after the most vulnerable, vulnerable people. And that, oh, that just, all right,
0: go on with your story. (laughs) On February 11th, 1978, Ruth Schwab actually survived her attack by triggering a bedside alarm. These alarms had become quite popular at this time, and they didn't go to the police like our alarms do now. Mm -hmm. They rang to, like, the neighbor's house. Interesting. She was able to, now, this woman is, like, my hero. I really hope that at 74 I can do this. She was trained in judo. Awesome. And she jogged every day good for her I can't even you jog. Can't jog. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> jog a half a block so <laughs> mom tries and her knees are like
1: the size of elephant feet like she just can't anymore <laughs> poor <laughs> thing
0: on. so because she was so physically fit fit yes. she was able to put up a really good fight and reach that alarm good for her unfortunately though she could not describe the man who assaulted her because he wore gloves and a mask but she survived she did she did but the killer, by this time, must have been really amped up because the same morning. The same morning? Only two blocks away, 78-year-old Mildred Brom was raped and strangled. Mm. This time there's a twist. Mildred was not strangled with stockings, but this time with a Venetian blind cord. Interesting. I thought so, too. And it's, she was found also, a lot of these women were found on their beds. Mm-hmm. But Mildred was found in the hallway. So she put up a fight. And I'm, I'm assuming she, maybe she put up a fight too. Or so it's kind of left to the devices. of. Or a, the it's siblings. in the morning. A lot of these attacks happened in the evening or at night. At maybe he's trying but to stay away from. But this was in the morning. From... And she... Maybe was going about her business and was in the hallway when she was attacked. Or
1: he's trying to stay away from windows because. Of but if that's the so, day. why
0: would he grab a Venetian blind? That's right, at yeah, the window. That, at a window, okay, yeah. So maybe really that sense. was the closest thing to them. That's crazy. Yeah, so, that is interesting. I don't know. So, like I said before, all these victims live very closely to each other. The police had stakeouts and drive-bys, but could just not catch the oh my attacker.
1: Gosh. It's like the stink at night stalker, except it's in a smaller area.
0: It, yeah, it's a very small area. They and, did know and that all
1: these victims are all older. So at least and all these people, I mean, all these neighbors have got to be talking, like make sure your, your doors are locked
0: and the doors were locked. God, that's so scary. How was he getting in? Hmm. Remember, he was a burglar. 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 I mean, you've said that like so three times very well today, by the way. He had... I mean, basically, he had been trained. He trained himself to break into places.
1: This is why we have dogs. There
0: was a uh, policeman who was like, Mom, pack your bags. (laughs) Get out of (laughs) here. You're out of here. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, if that was my mother that lived around that area. Now, you know, we're talking about older people who don't want to leave their home. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where they're comfortable. This is... Uh, but
1: if it's just for a couple months until they catch the guy, I would be like, Mom, get out of there.
0: But this has been going on for a year. Oh, my gosh. So it's like, you know, but as I'm writing this, I'm hoping... Well, I hope at least one of my children will grab me and say, Mom, you're out of here. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> yes. I know you have Obie, but still, you know, because, you know, Obi's going to be with me forever. So Forever and ever. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I was just... Kind of mm, interested in the fact that more people didn't move their yeah, mothers out their, of the area. Yeah. Hmm. So the police did know that they were looking for a black man who was raping and strangling older white females. But Which this led to a little confusion because at this time serial killers were still somewhat of a new subject. And um, didn't serial killers usually kill people of their own ethnicity? Oh, God. Hi! Terrible ethnicity thank you you're welcome i mess up way more than you do so it's kind of fun to correct you sometimes ethnicity Mm -hmm. okay uh this was also the 70s so there was also racial tension still involved in columbus Mm. in the 70s so finally the gbi so georgia bureau of investigation was called in finally yeah after how many victims now my gosh yeah no it doesn't stop On April 20th, 61-year-old Janet Coffer was found in her home strangled with a stocking knotted around her neck as all the victims, but this one had a bite mark on her breast. Mm. So I'm going to summarize everything here for you, not with the names, but kind of putting it all together. All of the victims were white women between the ages of 55 and 89. They lived alone. Their homes were broken into. Sometimes things were stolen, other times not. Interesting. In fact, one of the victims had a huge diamond ring on her finger that was not taken. Hmm. With one exception, the crimes all happened late at night. And that was the Venetian blind one. Okay. The women were all sexually assaulted. The women were strangled, usually with their own stockings or pantyhose. And here is a commonality that I haven't mentioned. Every deceased victim had been partially or totally covered after the attack, either with a blanket, a bedsheet, or comforter, and the victim's face was covered.
1: Hmm. It's like he's ashamed.
0: I don't know. I, I, I mean, you would, ah, who, knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Finally, on October 2nd, a man was arrested. The stocking strangler had been caught. I have a feeling it's not the right guy with how you're telling the story. Jeremy Lives, it's L I V E S, was a 25 year old illiterate, mentally challenged man. So he had beat his girlfriend to death, who, by the way, was 30 years older than him. Okay. So things, you know, that kind, kind of, of makes a, sense. Sure, but he beat her to death, so that doesn't really. He confessed to killing Fern Jackson and Gene Demenstein. Is that possible? Did he? Don't just raise your eyebrows at me. Answer me. Well, he confessed to it. (sighs) But later, in a jailhouse interview, he also admits to killing President Kennedy and McKinley. Said he was with the Manson family when they attacked Sharon Tate. He's a bad guy. And he was in on the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby in 1930. So he should be put away anyway. (laughs) So chances are pretty. Just being a ding dong. Chances are pretty good this was not the stalking strangler. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But he deserves to be put away anyway. Well, he was because he did, in fact, kill his girlfriend. Yes. So now we're back to square one. stalking strangler is still at large. Cool, but all of a sudden there's no more killings. Instead, in Greenville, South Carolina, hey, police now had the quote steakhouse bandit to search for. Huh? You <laughs> say? I didn't say anything.
1: <laughs>
0: but to me, this is so weird. Steakhouse okay? bandit. So, so he's this is all- going
1: around stealing steak. So this all
0: happened in seventy-eight. Okay, nineteen seventy-eight. You gotta come up with better names. April twentieth. A Burger King is robbed. It's not a steakhouse? No, you just hush up and listen. Okay. May 14th, a Hungry Hunter restaurant is is burglarized. It's like the fourth time we said September it. September 4th, a Western Sizzling restaurant. <laughs> September 22nd, Talk of the Town restaurant. October 8th, Ryan's Steakhouse. October 19th, Western Sizzling Steakhouse. November 5th, Poe Folk's restaurant. December 7th, Jack's Steakhouse, and February 15th, 1979, another Poe Folks restaurant in Gaffney, South Carolina, is robbed, and Gary is actually arrested the next day.
1: How do you go from killing people and strangling them, older women,
0: to just robbing restaurants? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine restaurants
1: <laughs> that is just so i understand that you go from doing something petty crime and then working your way up, up. But then which he, did, you,
0: which he did which he did and then all of a sudden how do you he just
1: stop murder de escalate. i'm mean, happy he stopped murdering people but that's just so so i said
0: the story is weird it is totally weird <sighs> So seven days later, February 22nd, Gary is convicted of armed robbery in Greenville County, South Carolina. And on March 29th, he's convicted of armed robbery in Cherokee County, South Carolina and sentenced to 21 years in prison. Just for robbery. So they
1: still don't know that he's the stocking strangler.
0: Exactly. On March 15th, 1984, Gary escapes from the (laughs) So when you told me that this story was crazy, this is just... <laughs> I wasn't expecting another escape. Gary escapes from the Columbia, South Carolina prison. And I looked everywhere, but I could not find how was he escaped. Was third story or fourth story this time? I, I couldn't find anywhere. There was an escape. I think he actually escaped from prison like three times altogether. And one time he sawed through the pr- I read that he sawed through the prison. Bars? Bars? He actually saw through the How bars. How can you do that? With
1: what? I don't know. His steak knives oh, that he had from all of his restaurants. Must have been his
0: plastic knife. <laughs> I have no idea if that's even Jeez. true. I said, you know, as you know, there's so much on the internet. We don't even the, know like... his real birthday. So <laughs> <we don't. laughs> Okay, he did manage his second escape and he returned to Columbus, Georgia. It doesn't take long. In fact, only one month. And again, Gary is robbing restaurants. I'm just
1: so confused how he just didn't. He just stopped killing. He's just like, eh, I'm over it. <laughs>
0: okay. April 3rd is another Po' Folks restaurant and where he actually raped one of the waitresses. So on April 16th, he robs a Wendy's. April 22nd, a McDonald's. April 28th, he robs the County Seat Store in Oak Mall of Gainesville, Florida. And that's not a restaurant, that is a clothing store. A clothing
1: store?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that doesn't fit
1: into any of his M.O. now.
0: Now, I don't want to confuse you, but this will tie everything to Gary. You see, they have him for the robberies, but not for any of the rapes and stranglings, right? Right. And there's like no way of tying both together
1: because they're both so different. And different places. Yeah. Totally different states, totally different MOs. One's murdering and killing and like raping and just awful. And then the other is just not that it's good, but it's robbing McDonald's. Right. Totally
0: different. And why would they even find any connection between the two? So on April 10th, 1984, Henry Sanders called the Columbus police to ask about his pistol, which, if you remember, had been stolen from his car in 1977 while he was visiting his mother and aunt. Right. Remember that? Right. Sending out a nationwide alert for the gun, police track it down to Michigan. Okay. To one of Gary's uncle's. Okay. Now, Gary, the, the uncle had no idea that this gun was stolen. It had just kind of been but passed. But had
1: Gary given it to him or? Not
0: directly to him. From what I read, it kind of been passed down from family member to family member. So of, then how do they even it trace it, it to Gary? It up there. Because that gun had been stolen then. Okay. And, and, he lived and it there, was or? his uncle. Okay. okay. So working with fingerprints. Police find one that matches a print found on the frame of a screen removed during the October 28th, 1977 Kathleen Woodruff case. So having the Ruger now connecting Mm -hmm. that to Gary, then they have fingerprints from the burglaries. And so then they're able to connect it to that fingerprint found on the screen. So the gun kind of was the thing that brought it all together. That's crazy. Gary was arrested on May 3rd, 1984, for burglary, and after being read his rights, he confessed to being present or having knowledge of eight of the nine Columbus rapes and murders. Let me guess. He didn't do any of the rapes. You're right. He didn't commit any of them. (laughs) Or murders. Because while he (laughs) was burglarizing the homes, a man named Malvin Crittenden was raping and murdering the victims. Of course. No evidence was found, placing Crittenden to the crimes, but Gary's fingerprints match prints found at four of the crime scenes.
1: But you kind of have to start... I mean, that's what he keeps doing. He he keeps pointing his finger at other people. But at the same time, you kind of have to wonder because he wasn't killing when he was robbing these restaurants. He wasn't killing when he was robbing the McDonald's or any of these steakhouses or anything. So it makes you wonder... Was he just going into these homes to rob and then this other guy was doing all that malicious stuff? But, but remember, not every time not there was every a robbery. Was,
0: yeah. And you walk into a McDonald's, there's not only old white women sitting there. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to have a place that has more than one woman that is unprotected.
1: Yeah, but why wasn't he strangling with stockings
0: in other neighborhoods? I don't know why he stuck to this one neighborhood. It's just so crazy. You know, one idea that was kind of hanging out there was maybe he was attacking older white women because those are the women that his mother cleaned for. Not those particular women. Okay. But his mother was the maid to Mm -hmm. older white women. Okay. Maybe subconsciously he was yeah, attacking. Yeah, but like them. you said, it
1: wasn't those exact women. No, or not those at all. women in Georgia. So, what's to stop him from going to get older white women down in Florida or out in Wisconsin? Well, you know, Columbus
0: was kind of his home territory, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, there was also blood and hair evidence collected at the scenes. But these were inconclusive, so they didn't prove that Gary was there, but they didn't disprove that he was there. Interesting. Now we go back to one of the first victims, Nellie Farmer, who was raped and strangled in 1970, and lo and behold, a fingerprint taken at that scene also matched Gary's print. Wow. He, of course, claimed that he was at the scene, but a man named John Mitchell raped and killed Farmer. John Mitchell was acquitted of the crimes.
1: Man, does he just have like poor taste in friends or is he just wanting to pinpoint these guys
0: for these crimes? I have no idea. Another past rape and attack victim during a burglary was Gene Frost in 1977. And one of the things stolen was the watch, which of course was found in his pocket, in in Gary's pocket, pocket two days later. Right. Again, it was someone else who attacked and raped the victim. This time, a man named Dudley Harris and Gary said he was actually outside acting as a lookout as the crime was happening. He had no idea. But he just ends up with her watch. Jean Frost was being killed. Okay. Harris was not convicted. So now Gary is in police custody and they're driving Gary around. Why right. are they driving so they him around? they picked him up and I didn't quite follow this scenario either. But for some reason <laughs> from 1230 a.m. to 330 a.m. What a weird time. The police are driving Gary. So Gary's sitting in the back, okay, of the police cruiser. He just wanted a joy ride? Or? And he says, okay, I can point out all the houses that these oh. attacks happen." So he p- points out the houses and uh, what victims were attacked there, describing how he gained access into the homes and the layout of the houses.
1: Interesting.
0: But he also says that he was not the attacker. Of Only the thief. Of course. So he's basically confessing, but nothing he said was recorded or what? even written down. Now, you have to remember, people didn't have cell phones, so you can't just automatically hit that
1: record button. But if you're driving this guy around and he's going to show you these houses, I think you would it have was to think he was going to be
0: admitting I, to something. I think it was they picked him up and I mean, they arrested him, picked him up and they like Okay, this is my idea. (laughs) They were heading to the police station. He goes, hey, let me just show you the houses. So they weren't prepared to do this. And I would just
1: find a pen and start writing it on my arm or something.
0: Well, why the second officer or detective wasn't writing things down, I don't know. But anyway, the lead detective did write everything down by memory when he got back into the office at 4.30 a.m. 4.30 a.m. Because my brain works so good then. Now, at his trial, Gary said that he had admitted nothing to incriminate himself. And that there was in fact a tape running the whole time and the detectives made most of it up. And the tape they got rid of the tape. Huh. He's a liar. But of course, you know, we can believe everything he says. He's just a big liar. So Gary was indicted on May fourth, nineteen eighty four, three days before I turned twenty. I was just gonna ask, (laughs) what's the specialty of this date, Mom? I'm sure there is one. Of course, now I just admitted how old I am and charged with three counts of malicious murder, three counts of rape and three counts of burglary. The victims were Ruth Schreibel, Martha Thurman and Kathleen Woodruff. His fingerprints have been found at the three residents. Oh, it just sucks. Only three. So now we get to the 1986 trial and this is where things turn kind of wanky. Oh, because it's been so chill since then. (laughs) So we know his fingerprints were found at the three crime scenes. Okay. But according to a document in the DA's file, no legible prints were found at Kathleen Woodruff's home. Wait. Say what? That was the fingerprint that was on the screen. On the screen. Okay. That mm. was the whole reason they took him. Okay. I'm confused. Are you? Mm hmm. Yeah. Then remember Gertrude Miller, the surviving witness. She identified Gary saying that even though the rape happened nine years ago, quote, his face is burned in my memory. No, oh. She stated that her bedside lamp was on, giving her a good look at her attacker. But in another DA file, the document indicated that before she picked out Gary in court, Miller had ID'd three previous suspects. Oh, and supposedly on the day after she was raped, she told the police that she could not tell if her attacker was white or black. Her lamp was not on and it was very dark. Oh, no. Oh, remember the bite mark I mentioned? Yes. The bite mark was not mentioned at the trial at all. Why? Wouldn't that even be evidence to match him? But it seems that the cast from the killer's teeth from the wound was sent to an expert in Atlanta who said that the bite mark does not match Gary. Maybe he did have somebody else with him. So they did not bring that up at trial. Which is what I was trying to
1: say is like he leaves, stops killing. I mean just stops killing. That's like unheard
0: of and goes off to just rob restaurants. It's totally different. So during Gary's many appeals, <sighs> this was brought to the attention of the federal court in Columbus, but a new trial was not granted. Oh. It was decided that maybe the jury would have found Gary innocent because of the bite mark evidence. But then again, on the other hand, maybe because of all the other evidence against him, he would probably still have been found guilty. You just never know. Although the prosecutor at Gary's trial pointed out the similarities of the other six victims to the three Gary was indicted for, on August 26, 1986, the jury found Gary guilty in only three of the stranglings. And on August twenty-seventh, the jury sentenced him to death. Appeal after appeal was made by Gary in his defense. In fact, 32 years of appeals, but to no avail. On March 15th, 2018, in Jackson, Georgia, Gary was executed by lethal injection. Wow. He died making no final statement. In fact, he uttered no words at all. Nothing. So a very weird twist to a very weird event. That is just bizarre. And even if he... I mean, I'm sorry, but even... I think he did do the killings, but mm-hmm. even if he didn't do them, why didn't he stop them? You know, I mean, right. He's he's, he's just in no as way much to blame,
1: right? No, no, no. I he's in no way innocent by any means, but it really makes you wonder. I don't know. I, I guess I'm no expert in any of this at all, but this is episode 58, mm-hmm. and we've not found a killer that can just stop, right? No, right.
0: I don't know. And maybe he didn't stop.
1: That's true. It could be another maybe there Baumeister were, and they just never caught There him. were
0: other ones that, you know, that, that we don't know about.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, anyway. There were a lot of things in trial that were wishy-washy. I'm not saying he's innocent. Please don't get me wrong on that. No,
1: he's obviously was but, there at the crime scene and that is enough to put him away.
0: There were things at the trial that really weren't a fair trial. Really? Like pointing out not bringing up the bite mark Mm -hmm. yeah and there were other things that were just kind of iffy
1: and he never said anything even in custody he never
0: I don't know that he knew that the bite mark had come back I I don't know but obviously they did bring it up wouldn't his
1: defense team have spoken to him about any of this okay the
0: defense team that was the other issue and I didn't want to get into that because it was very confusing to me but He, like, had one attorney and then that attorney left and then he had another. He did not have very good representation.
1: Representation.
0: Um, There was also, I think, a judge that quit and a new judge came on. I mean, there was just all kinds of weird things that happened at the trial. So, I don't know. Hmm. But
1: at the end of the day, his fingerprints were seen there. Yeah. that places him at a terrible, terrible crime. If he committed them or if not, he let it happen. And exactly. then went on to the next to do it again and again and again and again. And just because it was just those three where his fingerprints are found. I personally,
0: mean, I think if you let a crime happen and you're very aware of it, you're just as guilty. Absolutely. Sue. So.
1: Huh. No, I, I, I knew the name The stocking Strangler, but I didn't know
0: all that. Well, I hope I didn't bore our listeners who did know about the case, as it's a very kind of confusing, and there's a lot of names, of course, um, which I probably slaughtered some of them, and I apologize for that. But okay, give me some chills.
1: Okay, because your story didn't offer any chills. (laughs) So my goodness, Georgia, your state is haunted. (laughs) Haunted. Uh, Last time we covered Georgia mom covered the haunting and so we kind of wanted to mix it up and do you know vice versa with this one there's a lot of haunted places in In Georgia Georgia. there are (laughs) but you know us and we like to make each episode a bit different and I definitely found that all right this week's paranormal story is one that personally really freaked me out. The ghost stories of the location are pretty spooky, but I actually think it's the history of the location Mm -hmm. that really gives it its creep factor. There were a lot of cats. I was just going to (laughs) say, I know Catman does not scare a lot of you guys, but I really think that this is going to spook a lot of people out more than (laughs) Catman. And the pictures that I was tagged in and sent of cat in the hat and people from the movie cats and stuff you ha, ha ha you guys are so funny i thought it was hilarious especially because i'd be like opening them up right as i lay down to bed and like would open up these pictures and i'm like really
0: okay the one that of oh, the cat in the hat no what's kind of creepy
1: yes <laughs> but a cat man is creepy <laughs> Sorry, y'all. It is so creepy. I don't think he looked like that. (laughs) Moving on. In the foothills of the North Georgia mountains is a lake. It's a beautiful area and is a very popular recreational area. The lake is surrounded by marinas, hotels, campgrounds, beaches, a golf course, hiking trails, stables, and even a water park. Ooh, that sounds great. Throughout the year, the area is filled with boaters, campers, swimmers. Actually, there are close to 8 million visitors a year to Holy this lake. smokes. Probably before COVID, but... <laughs> this lake is called Lake Lanier, named after Sidney Clopton Lanier, an American musician, poet, and author. The lake is about 26 miles and because we have a lot of listeners outside of the United States, welcome, welcome. That is also about 42 kilometers long. That's how long the lake is. Okay. So 26 miles. That's a long that is. It's a huge lake. It has about 692 miles of shoreline. Oh my goodness. Which is 1114 kilometers. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so what is so haunting about this lake? I don't know. It sounds beautiful. Let's start with the fact that it is man-made, okay? In 1950, (laughs) the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers started breaking ground. They first constructed the Buford Dam on the Chattahoochee River. Mm -hmm. Then they all started arguing. They all wanted a lake, but they couldn't decide on a lot of things like how much water flow did they want? How big did they want or need this lake to be? And they couldn't even agree on exactly what the lake would be used for. Did they want it to be used as a water supply source for the growing city of Atlanta, which is about 50 miles away? Did they want it for recreational activities? Did they want to use it for hydroelectricity purposes? Wow all of this as well as fitting in the federal laws of threatening the homes of the endangered species in the area they couldn't even agree on a name for the lake until the process was basically done funds for the lake came and went up and down it's honestly a miracle in itself the lake was created no kidding or is it so the lake was decided to be made as a water supply source for the city of Atlanta, as well as to provide hydroelectric energy for the area. Okay, everything but the recreation. It was not made for recreational purposes. But if you remember, that's basically what it is. All I listed about the lake before, all the boating and swimming. Right. So here's the thing. Like I said, they start breaking ground in the 1950s, and then they just basically start to flood the foothills to create this lake. Mm -hmm. So before the flooding, the government had purchased over 50,000 acres of the farmland and forests of the area. In doing so, they displaced over 250 families, 15 businesses, and 20 cemeteries. (gasps) So they had to dig up all the graves. They started to do that. But from what I understand and what I read, they didn't quite get all 20 cemeteries. Because that's a lot of digging to do. <laughs> it was a five-year process to fill in the foothills to create this lake to the depth they wanted. Its deepest portion of the lake reaches 258 feet. Wow, that is really deep. 79 meters. <laughs> So after all the people are out, they just start flooding. The businesses, homes, streets, people's gardens, and even a couple historical landmarks are just flooded. So they're under this lake? They're not moved. They're just flooded and submerged underwater. It's like the lost city of Atlantis. All of this just laying on the ground of the lake while people boat and swim above it. Seriously? Yes. I found a couple eerie photos of the ruins at the bottom of the lake taken by divers. I mean, town walls, houses, and gravesites are all just submerged under the water. That is so creepy to me. That is fascinating. Talk about a lot of restless spirits. We've chatted about it before, but how water is a source of hauntings and spirits. But what if that water was used to cover your grave? (laughs) So you have that aspect of things, hauntings and such, but you also have the fact that the lake was not made for recreational use. Mix that all together and lots and lots of terrible things have happened out on this lake. As of last year, the death count was up to over 675 since the lake was created. Wow. Many, I mean many of those deaths ended up with no recovered body no way i couldn't get an exact number on that and i apologize i'd searched and searched but i don't think that they're going to advertise that they're not finding bodies because these businesses and everybody want to use this lake oh my gosh i mean come camp with us set up a tent and take a dip in the grand Lanier lake where over 100 (laughs) bodies have been lost
0: and you too (laughs) may never be found I don't think they're going to advertise oh that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like the lake where we live, I know there's been many deaths there, too, but mm-hmm. the bodies have always been recovered. That's just crazy. Yes.
1: Divers have gone down to investigate the, quote unquote, ghost town under the water. And there was a quote I read from a diver, Buck Buchanan, and it totally, totally freaked me out. His quote was in October of 2017, quote, you reach out into the dark and you feel an arm. <gasps> Or a leg. Huh? And it doesn't move. That's creepy. Is that a statue? Unquote. (laughs) No, it's a dead body. I think it's a statue. They've (laughs) they've recovered bodies and just down there divers fun swimming around. What? (laughs) (laughs) They're down there like looking at the ghost town. They're not down there looking for bodies at this point. Yeah, I know. And then they'll discover a body that was lost, you know, I don't know. It (laughs) me out. See, this is scarier than Catman. I told you. So maybe these people are diving down there and going into these houses and getting trapped. I don't think people that die, like drown off a boat or swimming down to go look in a house. (laughs) It's really cheap property. Oh, my God. Mom. (laughs) The water levels of the lake have been going down over the years, Mm -hmm. leaving many areas that the lake closed off to boaters and swimmers Mm -hmm. now. I read that there are areas of the lake where you could be standing in knee high water, take a step off a little ledge in the water and plunge and totally be submerged into over 30 feet of water. It was not made for recreational use. They just literally filled in the foothills with water. So then you have two those like whirlpools that are going to be created by all these boats. And now you have the ground that's not level underneath and buildings underneath there. And Uh,
0: this isn't supposed to be drinking water, is it?
1: Yeah, it was made for Atlanta. Obviously, it gets filtered before they
0: drink it. Ooh, but still. ooh. <laughs> thinking of Elisa Lamb. Okay.
1: <laughs> the Army Corps of Engineers, as well as the local government, have used the media to try to establish the safest swimming and boating areas. But, you know, some people just don't follow the rules. Oh, no. And it's such a large lake. I don't know how they can keep track of everybody out right. on the lake. So, like I said, the water levels are dropping and there are all these photos of boats that have like beached because it's too shallow for them. Mm-hmm. And so these boats are just left in these like odd places where some of them even look like they're kind of in the middle of the lake, but the water levels are going so down and these people obviously weren't following the rules, but they're just beached. And then these boats are just left there stuck in the ground because there's nothing that they can do. Oh my God. And that is just so scary to me too. These abandoned Boats that are like kind of half underwater, and some of them are starting to deteriorate. Deteriorate boats are expensive. I can't just oh, this is a crazy story. Okay, well, like like, even pictures of not those who know me know that I love the Titanic, I've always loved it, but even pictures of the Titanic underwater freak me out. (laughs) Well, it was kind of freaky, yeah, Yeah. it's scary. So, in 2007, there was a huge drought in the area, which was. Mm terrible for the water supply for the people of the area, first of all, but it also exposed some of the things that had been underwater since the 60s. Ooh. Um, There's a picture we'll post it on our social media and our website, but the stadium seating of a racetrack that used to be there was under the water, and there's pictures of people, like, sitting on it. Um, It was called...
0: (laughs) But not dead people. No! (laughs) Real people. It was... (laughs) I guess this is the paranormal
1: section of this podcast, but oh my gosh, mother. It's this awesome picture of all these dead people just sitting on, waiting for the race to start. That's why they didn't get recovered is because they all wanted to sit down there and wait for the race to start. The racetrack was called the Looper Speedway and it too is, it's kind of crumbly and of course, but it's still there. Maybe this is another Catman scenario where it just freaks me out. But the idea of buildings and an old stadium underneath me as I go tubing on the lake freaks me out. It's just weird. So the lake is about 70 years old, claiming over 670 lives. So is this bad boating? Is it just people not following directions? Mm -hmm. Are there hidden water hazards? Or are there sinister forces? There are many stories of boaters hitting something in the water. They stop the boat, look around, and there's nothing nothing there. there. Boats capsize for no reasons, and there are even sudden and very dangerous rogue waves. There's rogue waves in a lake? Many of the drowning cases are even odd occurrences where the drowning happens close to the shore and even happens to very strong swimmers in calm water conditions.
0: Ooh, like somebody reaches up and grabs their legs.
1: Oh my gosh, just wait. We all know accidents happen, especially on lakes when people don't follow the rules and especially when alcohol is involved. Maybe. See, this is probably good. We had a mocktail for this episode. But 675 people seems like a really high number to me. Yeah. There are a lot of rescues of people drowning as well. And a lot of those people who have been rescued Mm -hmm. have really scary stories where they felt as if they were being pulled down under the water Uh -uh. by unseen hands. Uh Uh-uh. Or they just, they're like floating there and all of a sudden their lungs feel like they can't get any air and exhaustion sets in and they just feel helpless. Oh my do Out of nowhere. I was reading on Reddit and I found a comment from a user with the name Midwest Product and it said, quote, there was another freak drowning last summer, 2014, that my friend is still troubled by. He and a guy were sitting on noodles in Gay Cove right off some guy's swim platform, just having a regular conversation. My friend decided to get out, and the other guy decided he wanted to dive down for a second before getting out. He did, and he never resurfaced. Mm. It took dive crews six hours to find the guy, and he was just laying on the bottom, not tangled on anything. Just laying They said he likely got disoriented and swam in the wrong direction. My friend is still bothered by it. Nothing seemed wrong, and the next second, the guy... Just died. Ooh. Unquote. Drivers on the roads and on the bridges around the lake have even felt almost pulled into the lake. No. The lake is haunted by one of these kinds of stories. The Lady of the Lake. Wearing white? No, actually. Oh, she's different. All right. The story goes that in 1958, and keep in mind, this is a true story. This is not just a legend. This is a true story. I saw the gravestones and everything. Okay. Okay. So, well, I didn't personally see the gravestones. I was trying to make it, like, way more serious than it needs to be. I saw (laughs) pictures of the gravestones, but anyway. And I read newspaper articles on it. Okay. Okay. But so it's real. It's real. Okay. Yeah. Susie Smallwood Roberts and her friend Delia May Parker, young mothers who went out to the local roadhouse for dinner. The two went out in Susie's 1950s Ford sedan. Delia borrowed a pretty blue dress for the occasion. Mm. The two enjoyed a night out together and then were never seen alive again. Tire skid marks were all that were left near the Dawsonville Highway Bridge. It was believed Susie lost control and drove off the bridge into the lake. Oh, police searched the area and the lake the best they could, but never found the bodies or even the car. They what? About 18 months later, a fisherman discovered a body that had floated up to shore. It was very badly decomposed and identification was made even more difficult because it had no hands. Huh? The body was also missing two toes on the left foot. Okay. It was buried in an unmarked grave. I believe in Alta Vista is what I read. The case of the missing women, I guess I should say looking for their bodies, was at a total standstill and the family and friends just basically gave up hope. Susie's son, James, was quoted as saying in a news article, quote, we believed she was in the lake, but then we heard she might be in Chicago, then in Florida. We wondered if she survived but had amnesia and never knew where to go, mm-hmm. unquote. In the 1990s, so 30 years later, the Dawsonville Highway Bridge was getting made larger, and they had to dredge into the lake for the cement beams to hold it up, and lo and behold, they discovered and pulled up a blue 1950s Ford sedan with a body inside. Oh. The jewelry on the body as well as the license plate confirmed that it was in fact Susie Roberts. It was then determined that the body in the unmarked grave most possibly was Dahlia. Delia Mae Young. So, her family did end up providing a marker for her, mm-hmm. but the mystery of her hands, it was it was odd. She didn't have any hands. It is said that a woman in a blue dress with no hands is seen Ew. walking along the shores of Lanier Lake. That's creepy. Perhaps searching for her lost hands? Oh,
0: that's creepy. <laughs> the heck could have happened
1: i don't know why she wouldn't have any hands unless something happened where she was trying to get out of the car i don't know
0: you would think that the fish i'm a so supposing fish are in there but they would would have eaten her fingers but not her whole hands there's
1: another spirit that haunts lanier lake this one seems a bit more sinister to me apparently on several occasions a shadow figure floats on a mysterious raft with a single lantern and uses a pole to push itself along the lake. Mark Twain. <laughs> Huckleberry Finn. I'm sorry. On one occurrence, two fishermen saw the ghostly figure. It was very early in the morning in the fall. They saw the raft with the lantern like a half mile away. They're in some pretty deep water, but it still seems like the man or what they assume is a man from the shadow figure they're seeing. He's using a long pole, pushing himself through the lake. Oh, suddenly the figure stops, turns towards the men Mm. and begins shouting something at the fishermen. Then all of a sudden the figure jumps off of this raft into what I can only imagine in the fall being very cold water and starts swimming towards Towards the men. Oh God, (laughs) they freak out, pull in their lines and prepare to boat away. All of a sudden the lantern on that abandoned raft Uh goes out. The fishermen shine their spotlight across the water. No figure, no raft, nothing's out there. I'd still get the hell out of The <laughs> water of the lake lay calm. <laughs> I'd still get out. <laughs> so you have the terrible deaths in the lake, and many of them, as well as this like ghost town under the water, but you also have something else. I'll use this quote from a local to describe it. Quote, you know... There's catfish swimming around the bottom of that lake that are the size of a 10-year-old boy, unquote. (laughs) The catfish are said to be five to seven feet long. (laughs) Some of the sources I read said they say that these catfish swallow dogs. They get get too close to the water. They jump. And they even attack swimmers. There's a popular tale told by the locals that says that this truck carrying a bunch of chickens crashed off a bridge into Lanier Lake in the eighties and it sank to the bottom of the lake. Divers, of course, divers are everywhere in this story. <laughs> divers are sent down to check the wreckage, and to their horror, they find these huge catfish down there just, just munching swallowing on swallowing the chicken. these chickens whole. <laughs> You and your cat. (laughs) I didn't even put that together. That was catfish, not a
0: cat man.
1: So with the buried cemeteries, the ghost town underwater, all the deaths, the shadow figure on the water and the lady in the blue dress. I don't plan anytime soon dipping my toes in Lanier Lake.
0: Oh, don't forget the stadium. The dead people sitting around waiting for the race to
1: start. And the giant catfish that will jump up and eat your
0: hands. (laughs)
1: gulp <laughs> oh okay
0: part of that was super super creepy
1: i know i had to end with the catfish though
0: of course you did
1: <laughs> but isn't the history of that even creepy though like with or without the ghost stories no is it they flooded everything but interesting And I guess when you think about a man-made lake, I'm sure that's probably really common. Some of our listeners are probably like, yeah, that's what they have to do. (laughs) But I don't know. I guess I learned something, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's like a whole town is under there.
0: Yeah. 15 businesses, 250 families. It's crazy. Like, Did they take their stuff, like take moving vans and take their stuff out, or just they got paid enough money so that they're just just, just, like- out of here and so there's chairs and beds and stuff all the the dead people at the
1: stadium they
0: really do have like a full house they have a house yeah they just go to the stadium every now and then Mm -hmm. that's where they go and they like have conversations with other dead people and now they don't even have to social distance because they don't wear masks did you see the catfish today (laughs) they were feeding
1: on those dogs over there at the lake (laughs) or at the lake at the beach They'll leave us alone for a little while, but we got to, like, pull another truck filled with chickens in so that we can keep them full for a while. Ghosts.
0: Oh, my God. Anyway,
1: next week, Mom, we will be covering stories from... Do you remember? Idaho. Idaho. Way to go. Way to go, Idaho. Ooh, I got some good paranormal. I'm excited about my story, too. Good. All of these pictures... That we discussed from this podcast will be on our website. As well as the links. Yes. And and all the links to our sources. That'll be www.killerhangover.wordpress.com. You can also follow us so that you get alerts and emails whenever we post anything about our podcast There's also a link there, too, where you can send us your stories on the website, or you can just email us at KillerHangoverPodcast at gmail.com. So if you saw yesterday, our March listeners episode just came out. That's right. We want to read more stories, so keep them coming. We like to do that extra episode a month. We think that's kind of fun for you guys. It's fun for us, too. Yeah. And I love, (laughs) love, love, love reading those stories. So send us your personal true crime experiences. We have some really spooky ones and paranormal experiences. At the risk of sounding like NPR, this podcast is brought to you by you, the listeners. And we really appreciate those who have joined our Patreon. It's a great support for us with the cocktails that we're getting and the work that goes into researching and just it really means a lot to us. Those that have joined our Patreon for five dollars a month. Yep, this laptop is about to die, so... Yes, my laptop is about to be thrown out the window. It keeps dying on us in the middle of recording, so... So. Thank you to the patrons, because we are saving up for a laptop. (laughs) We need some better equipment, because this sucker is... It's going to be the death of me.
0: No, it's going to be the death of it. (laughs) We'll be throwing
1: it in Lake Lanier here very soon. So there's going to be a link to our Patreon in the description of this episode. You can also just email us if you want the link, but it's patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash killer hangover podcast. Again, it's $5 a month and not only do we appreciate it, and it goes towards our resources but you as a patron you also get extra episodes and episodes are released early for you guys and different
0: things here or there we've sent out gifts to our patrons before so i think maybe in a few months you know summer months maybe you could send out another thank you gift
1: yeah i think so i definitely think that it's needed we're so appreciative of you guys so join up before then yeah please (laughs) And this was extra fun because I actually got to kind of drink with you tonight, Mom. I know, with this mocktail, which was absolutely delicious. Yes. Thank you, Aiden, for the fun <laughs> experience.
0: <laughs> it's my boy. Another good one, Mom. Yes, it was. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.